is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Hello. Good afternoon. This is the Thursday of... The 8th of December, I'll get your words out, Stanley. Michelle Stanley's my name. A bit of a different show for you today. You'll be with me across the Territory until 1 o'clock. But after that, if you're listening on analogue radio in your car or on the old-fashioned wireless, you'll be off to the cricket in Adelaide. If you do want to keep listening to the Country Hour after 1 o'clock, just tune in on online or on the ABC Listen app. While I do have you, though, how have you been getting around the heat lately? Right across the Territory, it's been a pretty horrid week for weather, but the show must go on. So how do you keep your business running, particularly if you're picking fruit, for example, while it's just so hot? Some growers have turned the clocks upside down. We're standing here and it's much cooler, so it means it's cooler for the people who are working out here at night, increases their productivity and their comfort, and it's also cooler for the fruit, which means that we don't get as many issues with fruit being far too hot when you're trying to harvest it during a hot afternoon. You're going to go night harvesting shortly, and you'll also meet Shannon Wyatt. He works for a seafood supply company, and Shannon has Down syndrome. Can you tell me what this is? What, this is the, this is on the bottom of the box. Yeah. What does that say there? Jeff Buckers brings seafood. Yeah, you're being modest though. Just mm. above that, what does that say? In my name on it. It says Shannon. Yeah. You've got your name on the box. Yeah. How'd you get that? My boss. Yeah. You, you told him to put your name on there. Yeah. yeah did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you stay tuned for that because you're going to hear from the owner of Finn's Seafood who says Shannon does so much more for their business than just make neat boxes. He's a really valuable member of their team. It's a gorgeous story and you'll hear more of it after one o'clock. First, though, this morning, contractors for the NT government arrived at Rum Jungle Organics in Bachelor to start the job of ripping out thousands of banana plants. Banana freckle disease was found at the property back in June, and now all the plants at the farm have to be pulled out in order to control the spread of the plant disease. But owner Julianne Murphy says there's already been a hiccup in the plan this morning. Today is the start of the removals, Dan. Um, the um, trucks and vehicles all arrived this morning. There was supposed to be a fencing contractor to cut the gate, but he didn't arrive. So um, that's a slight change of plans. And there was supposed to be an air-conditioned crib hut for the workers, but that hasn't arrived. So um, there's a bit of a, a quick uh, jiggle around to work out how we're going to keep people cool and safe and where they're going to use toilets and whatever. We, we were off doing chores and the vehicles started moving into our property and the, there was a large truck and a small truck and an excavator and a ute. They were sprayed down out the front with decontaminant by the biosecurity team who were here as well and they drove into the property. And By the time we went down and checked them, we realised that they hadn't washed down and their vehicles were covered in dried mud and dirt and clods and stuff and the the plan was they would wash down in bachelor before they came to our property so that they were clean between jobs and that didn't happen okay, so major so bias potentially major biosecurity yeah talk us through why that's a risk for your farm well it's a major biosecurity breach so for 22 years we've kept 
Panama out of our property and various other weeds and diseases um, through our very vigilant biosecurity program. And um, this, the idea of cleaning down any vehicles that come in is to protect us from Panama because Panama is soil-borne and the spores live in the soil for 20 years. So it's imperative that the soil is washed off from up under the wheel arches or around on the wheel hubs, etc., so that the soil isn't being brought into our property. Okay, so are those contractors going to wash their vehicle now? Um, yeah, we stop works and they're going off to wash them down, but they're already here dropping dirt. And, as I was saying, 20 years of being vigilant and they've, the biosecurity department has managed to blow that in one morning. Well, that must be disappointing for you on um, what must already be a tough day. Um, can you talk us through the job of what they're supposed to be doing there in terms of getting rid of your bananas? Uh, yeah, uh, the, we we spend a long time with um, the biosecurity department developing a very specific site plan that took into account all our requirements about protecting soil and biosecurity and weeds. And um, during that process, which was a very difficult process, we were pretty much branded difficult um, and but we sort of stuck to our guns and we determined to try and get people to understand that soil and soil carbon is really important and that biosecurity is really important. So the excavator would grab the bananas, pull them out of the ground, shake them all about and put the, put the stem and the, the corn, the large root, in the truck and then the trucks would ferry those to bachelor tip where there's a biohazard bin and... They sort of had a system where there'd be little trucks on the property ferrying it out to the big truck so that the big truck didn't have to decontaminate all the time after it left the property. So it was all set up like that. Um, and it sounds like a big job. And then how the many, team how many bananas are we talking, Julie? Thousands. It's a big job. We're looking at a couple of weeks' work, probably. It's a, it's a big task. Uh, after they pull out all of the corms and the stems, they then have to scrabble around on the ground and pick up every single piece of banana leaf matter. And these workers, they'll be covered head to toe in, in full overalls, PPE? Yep, they will be. That sounds like a hot job too. Oh, yeah. It's a major work health and safety issue. Um, you know, so They've got to have a certain number of breaks and cool down time and stuff like that. Which we find really funny because we're 65 and we live and work out here all day. But anyway. <laughs> Can you talk us through how you're feeling about all of this, Julie? What emotions are going through as you're about to have all your bananas uh, look, go? Yeah, it, yeah, it's a big one. It's a big one for Al because, you know, he's a farmer and he feels like he's done a bad job or something, which is not true, but you can't help feel that way. We also know that at 65, our business has just been destroyed. We don't have time and energy left to replant a banana plantation. So basically our, our business is over, which is no one seems to understand, but basically this is going to break us. So that's the bit that bothers us the most. Biosecurity doesn't bother us. Even losing our bananas Physically doesn't bother us, but the fact that this will break us really bothers us. It's, there is no longer Rom Jungle Organics from here on in. We, we just can't recover. So um, the fact that 
we've had to wait six months without an income has pretty much broken us as well. So we've had to wait six months while they work out what they're doing. And to me, that's unfair and untenable. And that was very difficult emotionally to wait six months to find out what's happening when, where and how. And then on top of that, the battle we had to have, and it's, it was a battle, we had to endure all sorts of misunderstandings, miscommunication. It hasn't been fair. It's fair enough to lose your bananas to a biosecurity issue. It's not fair enough to have to endure all those other things. Yeah, it sounds like a very tough situation. Um, will you be it's receiving very, very any, tough. any compensation for the loss of your bananas? We have to apply for compensation after our destruction date. Um, so we have we, we do what's called the owner reimbursement cost, which is a sort of a massive process and there's a special framework for bananas because they're signatories to the deeds. So there's a special um, framework. We have to collect three years of evidence against that framework and apply for compensation. That in itself is a massive process. We have 90 days and we don't feel like we can be very confident that we're going to get the support we need to do that. You said you probably don't feel up for replanting a whole another farm full of bananas. Do you know what you'll do next? Well, no, because we've just lost our business and all our money, so we're not sure, no which is kind of a bit rough at the end of your sort of working life. So, no, we don't know what we're going to do. At the moment, we're scrabbling around trying to plant things to just keep ticking until we can have a plan. But I wouldn't be very confident of planting bananas again in the Northern Territory for a while. It will be at least two years before we can anyway. So it's, it's at, least a year, at least a year fellow and then... It takes another year, even if you're planted straight away, it takes another year before you've got a crop. So um, then I'll be 67, so no, it doesn't look good. <laughs> but, you know, that's our specific issue, Dan. That's not really something to whinge about, but pretty much it's the end of Rum Jungle Organics. Julianne Murphy from Rum Jungle Organics. She was speaking with Dan Fitzgerald and we have contacted the Department of Industry for a response. We're yet to hear back, but if we do get a response before the end of the country hour, I will let you know. It's 19 to 1. The federal government has announced it's committing to establishing a new environment protection agency to enforce laws designed to protect and restore nature and have the power to decide whether or not developments proceed. This morning, Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek released the government's response to Graham Samuel's review of national environmental laws and revealed this new body would be formed to measure environmental impact. The minister says the ag industry has been consulted on the change and believes it will, will seize benefits. We've had great engagement with the National Farmers Federation uh, and uh, and, uh, other representatives of agricultural industries. We are absolutely determined that Australia will continue to be a wealthy and productive country that's exporting our goods uh, all around the world. And, And that's what you know, that's what keeps us prosperous. I know farmers are some of the best environmental custodians in our country and I'm very hopeful that 
uh, not only will farmers um, welcome the detail of these proposals, which will give them certainty as well, um, but they will also be excited about the new opportunities of our nature repair market. Our nature repair market is a way for people uh, in regional communities and rural areas to earn money from doing the environmental stewardship that they want to do in many cases, are desperate to do. This will apply for farmers, it will apply for First Nations, traditional owners. Um, this is a great new opportunity for, uh, for seeing investment in our regional and rural communities. Federal Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek speaking this morning. It's 17 to 1 on the Country Hour. You're heading off to the cricket at 1 o'clock. We will check in with the Weather Bureau before then, though. Let's have some Keith Urban. This is Polaroid. Keith Urban, Polaroid, it's 14 to 1. Uh, hi, I'm Max Emery. I'm the proprietor of Desert Garden Produce, Central Australia, the Bush Tomato King. When I'm out picking every day, my wonderful hour spent you know, on the radio is with the country hour. Let's go picking now. Harvesting mangoes during a build-up or wet season day isn't easy with the sun beating down on you. But as the mango harvest starts to wind down for many growers in the top end, it's likely more fruit than ever this season will have been picked at night. Max Rowley has more. It's about eight o'clock at night and the work shift has only just begun for Moses Skeva. I start work at seven, yeah, seven o'clock, picking mangoes, until tomorrow morning for yeah, for a.m. Moses is a seasonal worker from Vanuatu, and he's picking mangoes on a farm outside of Catherine in the Northern Territory. How are you finding harvesting at night time? It's good, yeah. It's more better than daytime because daytime it's too hot, nighttime it's warm. A few mango farms in the region have been picking their fruit at night for a number of years now, but it's the first season for one of the Territory's biggest producers, Mambaloo. Here's Managing Director, Marie Piconi. We've actually expanded the farm, and so it means that if we're harvesting during the day and at night, we can harvest more fruit in a limited amount of time, more mangoes. And mangoes just don't hang on the tree. They'll fall off if we don't get to them in time. We've also got very expensive harvesting machinery, and it means that we can utilise one machine for more hours of the day. Um, and it's cooler. We're standing here and it's much cooler, so it means it's cooler for the people who are working out here at night, increases their productivity and their comfort, and it's also cooler for the fruit, which means that we don't get as many issues with fruit being far too hot when you're trying to harvest it during a hot afternoon. How hot does it get here on farm uh, during the day? Depends whether we're going through a heat wave or not during the harvest. So during a heat wave, we can get 39, 40, 41 degrees, peaking at about 3 to 5 p.m. every afternoon. Uh, um, if we're not going through a heat wave, it can be 36, 37, 38. Very rarely cooler than 36 degrees Celsius. And so what are your usual picking hours, I guess, before you started the night harvest? Our usual picking hours, are, I think, 6 or 6.30 and we go through until it's 38 degrees. And so sometimes that's 2 o'clock, sometimes that's 1 o'clock, sometimes it's 4 o'clock. Depends on how much cloud cover and, as I said, whether we're going through a heat wave or not. Where is it right now, the temperature? It's certainly not 38 degrees. No, I think probably right now it's about 30, 32. 
I mean, I'm just guessing. I'm not the weather person, but it's it just doesn't feel hot or uncomfortable. And have you had to make many adjustments on farm to to you know accommodate? this new kind of harvesting you mean just buying some um, headlamps and um, lighting up lighting up machines and doing a bit of planning if they're the adjustments yes we've made the adjustments it's been actually quite a smooth transition because there's been some serious planning happened uh, and we sort of tried to think think through all the things that we need to make sure that everybody's safe and that it runs relatively smoothly are there any added pressures in terms of at night in, in terms of safety on farm We think that we've carefully considered that. So we have a number of safety measures in place, um, including the type of machines that we're prepared to use at night so that they're really quite safe. And uh, one of the things we're very mindful of here in the Northern Territory is um, the threat of lightning. So any sign of lightning coming near us or issues of that nature, um, we're right out of here. For the workers, do you, have you found it, are they are they able to see the fruit and pick the fruit uh, properly at night versus during the day? Yeah, it's amazing. The fruit stands out really well at night with lights, so they they seem to be able to um, select the mature fruit, and we're fairly careful about where we put them so that there's not any confusion about what's mature and what isn't. And based on how the night harvest has gone this year, this season, will you be continuing with it? Um, my Our initial discussions, I've been discussing it with um, Luke, Jack, the manager here at Manblue, Catherine, and the overall harvest manager, Craig Smith. And uh, we think this, we call this a success, and we'd definitely be looking to do night harvest next year. And that's good news for Moses Skever. He's picked mangoes and other fruit in Australia for a number of seasons now, but this is his first year working nights. This year I just come back on yeah, October and start picking again then <clears throat> like I just my first time to picking like dude night shift yeah yeah night shift is better yeah it's good warm take me through an average day for you at the farm then doing the night harvest today we just come and start at uh, 7 maybe we picking mangoes until 12 o'clock 12.30 lunch time we just do some smoko yeah then start again maybe 1 o'clock just 30 minutes uh, 15 minutes smoko then until 4am in the morning just we just go home so your day is kind of opposite you start at 7pm yeah, and 7 your lunch is at 12.30am in the morning yeah. and finish at 4 then we just park the machine bike in another block for the day, day shift another guy come and use the machine to picking mangoes in the day shift then we just knock off and go home shower and have a rest sleep then wait for another, like, night time again. Yeah. How does the heat in the Northern Territory compare to back home in Vanuatu? Uh, it's too hot. Northern Territory, it's too hot. Yeah. <laughs> back home, sometimes it's hot, but sometimes it's warm. But here, it's hot, but it's okay. Because we come to work for, get some money to take back home, to help my family, to do my home, to buy my land, yeah, to help my family. And before you came to Australia and started working here, what work were you doing back home? Just gardener. I do gardener. Look after the, my, uh, like my garden and my mother's, my dad's garden back home. How does the money for that compare to, to working here? Uh, yeah, it's more money back home. No money, yeah. Not too much. 
In terms of the, the night harvest, what's the hardest part of working at night? Uh, for me, it's well, because I try, I, I've been in New Zealand, I do the same job, then picking mangoes is easy, yeah. Moses Skiva, who is a seasonal worker picking mangoes for Manbaloo near Catherine this season. The mango harvest has wrapped up for most Darwin growers and it's starting to taper off for some in the Catherine region too. There are still some decent volumes being picked in Catherine and Mataranka though, especially Calypso and Honey Gold Mangoes, with about 170,000 trays forecast for the region this week. So still plenty around. Hi, Colstatton, your local dirt doctor or soil doctor, carrying out some uh, erosion control works on Angulia Station at this given moment. And guess what? You'll listen in the country hour. It's 7 to 1. As I said, you're off to the cricket at 1 o'clock or if you're listening online, you'll continue with me. Let's get the weather now, though, a little bit earlier than usual. Rebecca Patrick is with you from the Bureau of Meteorology. It is still hot. I was just looking at the photo of the the heatwave severity situation and there are huge swathes, Rebecca. What are we looking at today? Yeah, um, so we are... Um yeah, getting that heat wave continuing, hot temperatures at the moment, um, particularly uh, probably uh, through the just south of the top hand, we're seeing Borrelula's already reached 40 degrees, Tennant Creek 40 degrees. Um, and Is sorry, that a have, fire alarm for you? It is, but it's a test. So okay, so you can keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> it's very badly timed. Um, apologies for that. Um, yeah, so we've got uh, a little bit of cooler air over the southern districts at the moment. So Alice Springs is sitting on about 31 degrees. So that's a fair bit cooler than they got um, yesterday with the heat yeah, more uh, towards the central and the northern districts today. And um, in the top end, I mean, we, we got some relatively unexpected rain last night. Is there any more of that on the way? I believe there's a little bit of um, or wind on the way. Yeah, um, so today there's probably not a great chance of, of too much in the way of showers and storms. Um, the the upper atmosphere is a little bit unfavourable, but there could be a few just popping through, um, managing to get through. Um, but uh, yeah, so they'll be fairly isolated, but um, any storms that do develop are expected to be quite gusty. And from tomorrow, there's probably a, a slightly increasing chance we might see some storms and 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 again, um, there is a risk of damaging wind gusts with any storms over the next few days, um, mainly over the, the western top end and into the northern parts of the Gregory District. The heat that we've been experiencing and talking about all week, how much longer is that going to stick around? Uh, it looks like it's going to stick around in quite a few more days, like through the weekend. Um, but next week, we are starting to see a bit of moisture coming back in into the, the upper levels of the atmosphere, which means it's going to be more favourable for showers and storms. Um, and so with a little bit more shower and storm activity, that will help to alleviate some of that heat. So, um, yeah, from 
from about Tuesday, um, seeing those temperatures dropping off. Um, also in southern parts of the Territory uh, next week, we've also got a, a ridge building through the south, so more southeasterly winds will help to decrease those temperatures back down to the, the low 30s next week. Well, that'll be a big relief for a lot of people, I'm sure. Um, you sort of touched on Central Australia there, but what's the outlook for the next few days down there? Uh, so there could be some storms around um, the next few days, uh, pretty high-based storms, so um, a lot of dry air underneath them, which means not too much in the way of rainfall expected, but there could be a few lightning strikes around. Um, there is another trough coming through across the weekend, so perhaps slightly increasing the chances of of some of that precipitation reaching the ground on the weekend. Um, but, yeah, once we get that, um, those southeasterlies coming through, it might clear it up a little bit as well. And what about on the water this weekend? Is it looking all right to, to drop a line? Um, yeah, I guess depending on what kind of conditions you like, um, but generally they're relatively light winds. Um, Darwin Harbour uh, this weekend, looking at those winds getting up to about 10 to 15 knots, um, mostly with that sea breeze coming through, um, so westerly winds there. Um, similarly, off the west coast further afield, um, those winds about 10 to 15 knots west to northwesterlies might get up to 20 knots at times. Um, a little bit of a changing wind direction off the north coast and in the Gulf of Carpentaria where we're seeing a bit more east to northeasterly in the north um, and, yeah, the southern Gulf of Carpentaria um, tending more, more northerly through those areas but still only about 10 to 15 knots, so not too bad. All right, and anything else you need to be aware of before we let you go today? Um, just, uh, yeah, try and keep cool if you're out and about and... Um, yeah, just watch out for any storms that are around because they'll be a bit gusty. Thank you very much, Rebecca, and well done. I'm continuing through that fire alarm as well. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. Rebecca Patrick from the Bureau of Meteorology. She's the duty forecaster there today. Just over a minute before you head to the cricket... And just on our earlier story about the eradication of bananas at Rum Jungle Organics and claims that the Department of Industries contractors' vehicles weren't washed down. You heard earlier from Julianne Murphy about that. Uh, we have received a response from the Department of Industry. It says all vehicles have been washed down and a review of biosecurity protocols is underway. The statement said the department has undertaken all efforts to negotiate with the operator along with the other infected premises. So that in from the Department of Industry. Half a step forward, put to the pitch. Yeah, yeah. ABC Sports, Summer of Cricket. This is party time on the ABC Listen app. Every ball. Punching this through the offside. Every catch. That is an extraordinary catch. Every wicket. Bowling! Wicket's tumbling. Live. Another hundred. And ad-free. Oh, wow. ABC Sports, Summer of Cricket. Live on the ABC Listen app. Yeah, that's coming up for you in, well, 15 seconds. Uh, you, you're going to be heading off to the cricket. Stick around on the stream on digital if you want to continue to listen to the Country Hour. It'll be great to have you along for this next half hour. But otherwise, that's it from me. It's one o'clock. My name's Ashley from Bam Bam Spring Station. 
I'm Jacqueline Dakin from Anthony Lagoon. I'm Georgie from Catherine. And you're listening to the Country Hour. <laughs> yeah, good afternoon to you listening online on the ABC Listen app or maybe on the podcast. Thank you for sticking with me. Michelle Stanley is my name. And shortly you'll meet Shannon Wyatt, who works for a seafood supply company based down near Fremantle in Western Australia. Shannon has Down syndrome. Can you tell me what this is? What, this, is the, this is on the bottom of the box. Yeah. What does that say there? Chef boxes, things, seafood. Yeah, you're being modest though. Just above that, what does that say? Yeah, my name on it. It says Shannon. Yeah. You've got your name on the box. Yeah. How'd you get that? My boss. Yeah. You, you told him to put your name on there. Yeah. yeah did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you stay tuned because shortly you'll hear from the owners of Finn Seafood, who says Shannon, you just heard from there, does so much for their business, way more than just making really neat boxes. He's now a valuable member of their team. You'll meet them before one thirty, And I'm going to ask you to soil your undies. Yeah, soil your undies. I'll explain that a little bit further before half past one. First, though, if you weren't tuned in to the Country Hour before the one o'clock news, I did catch up with the Bureau of Meteorology um, before those listening on the analogue went off to the cricket. Rebecca Patrick is the duty forecaster today and she said the heat is ongoing. We are... um yeah, getting that heat wave continuing, hot temperatures at the moment, um, particularly uh, probably uh, through the just south of the top hand, we're seeing Borrelula's already reached 40 degrees, Tannock Creek 40 degrees. So we've got uh, a little bit of cooler air over the southern districts at the moment. So Alice Springs is sitting on about 31 degrees. So that's a fair bit cooler than they got. Um, yesterday with the heat yeah more uh, towards the central and the northern districts today and um, in the top end I mean we we got some relatively unexpected rain last night is there any more of that on the way I believe there's a little bit of um, wind on the way yeah um, so Today, there's probably not a great chance of, of too much in the way of showers and storms. Um, the the upper atmosphere is a little bit unfavourable, but there could be a few just popping through, um, managing to get through. Um, but, uh, yeah, so they'll be fairly isolated, but um, any storms that do develop are expected to be quite gusty. And from tomorrow, there's probably a... a slightly increasing chance we might see some storms and 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 again um, there is a risk of damaging wind gusts with any storms over the next few days um, mainly over the the western top end and into the northern parts of the Gregory district. The heat that we've been experiencing and talking about all week how much longer is that going to stick around? Uh, it looks like it's going to stick around in quite a few more days like through the weekend um, but next week we are starting to see a bit of moisture coming back in into the the upper levels of the atmosphere which means it's going to be more favorable for showers and storms Um, and so with a little bit more shower and storm activity that will help to alleviate some of that heat so um, yeah from 
from about Tuesday, um, seeing those temperatures dropping off. Um, also in southern parts of the Territory uh, next week, we've also got a, a ridge building through the south, so more southeasterly winds will help to decrease those temperatures back down to the, the low 30s next week. That will be a relief, I'm sure. That was Rebecca Patrick from the Bureau of Meteorology. And if you wanted to hear the full weather wrap, just head to the podcast on your ABC Listen app or just pop in your browser, NT Country Hour. I'm sure you'll be able to find it. It's nine past one. You're listening to the Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Now, whether it's growing fodder for cattle or maybe fruit and veggies for the markets, how much thought do you give to your soil? This week is National Soil Week and Territory Natural Resource Management is asking you to soil your undies. Literally, to bury a pair of cotton jocks in some topsoil on your property. Jack Farthing is with Territory NRM. What on earth are you up to, Jack? (laughs) <laughs> so we've just um, been uh, focusing a lot on uh, soil health with in the NT and um, we are asking them to bury their undies in their paddocks as a way to look at their soil, soil health. We're going to get them, you bury them in at about five centimetres deep and then you leave them for about eight weeks and then when you dig them up, you should have a pretty good visual representation of how well your soil life your soil biology is functioning how does burying a pair of cotton underwear show you how healthy your soil is it's obviously not the most scientific of methods um like there are scientific methods out there that'll give you exactly what proportion of different biological life you have in your soil but this one um depending on how how much of the underpants are left should give you a fairly good indication on how well those organisms are functioning. So if you dig them up and all that's left is the elastic strap and then you're obviously going great. And if you dig them up and there's, you know, just a tiny little hole and you can just dust them off and wear them into town, then you know you've probably got to start looking at some soil remediation tools. So this program, it isn't the first time that it's ever been done in the world. It it has been done elsewhere, but it's the first time in the NT, is that right? I believe so, yes. So I think the program started in the States where it was, I don't know, it was something along the lines of saw your socks and then it was in Canada and then when it got to Australia it was turned to saw your undies. You've got to be more attention getting over here, don't you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was a good Australian twist to it, I thought. But, um, yeah, it was brought in by Dr. Ollie Knox from University of New England. And they've been doing it pretty extensively throughout the East Coast and parts of the West Coast, but not too many results in the NT. Okay, so you've, you've launched it this week. It is Soil Week. What kind of results have you seen? We've had some pretty solid results. We've only, we did a couple of trials with it before Soil Week. So Dr. Ollie Knox came up and spoke at this year's um, Soil Symposium that we put on and he gave away a few pairs of undies. So the some of the audiences got them and tried them out. So we've seen their results and there have been some really good ones. And this week, because it was World Soils Day on Monday, we gave out about 30, 30 plus pairs to about 20 five growers, I think, all across the NT, different crops, different 
pastures, different climatic zones, all burying them on the same week, and we should be should be um, digging them up in early February, and so it would be pretty exciting to see see how everyone goes. Yeah, we'll have to check in with you in, in eight weeks to find out how those undies have fared. Why is this so important? Why is ten- Territory NRM promoting this and, and sort of, you know, looking into this? Yeah, so soil is extremely important for all facets of life. You know, we all eat food, we all wear clothes, um, we all live in houses and everything goes back to soil at some point in that supply chain so it's an extremely important resource that you need to need to protect and the resource within the resource is the soil life the biology the part that gets the soil keeps the soil healthy is the little animals that live in that live in there and function and cycle all these nutrients and um using the undies we um can show people that there is something going on in the soil that you need to take care of. And um, it's just a really good way and a really stark way of seeing that there is life in your soil. It's not just dirt. You've said you've had some good results from the earlier tests or trials of the undies in the soil. Um, But if people in, say, eight weeks who have planted their undies, planted, have buried their undies this week, they're not (laughs) going to grow anything from it. But but if they find that they can, you know, dust them off and wear them to town, maybe don't do it. But if you can, what should producers be doing to try and turn that around so that, you know, in another eight weeks or maybe next year, there's, there's little left? Uh, there's there's lots of things you can do. I think the, the first thing to do would be to start looking at your soil as as something that you got to take care of, and you got to start feeding these organisms and start building up your soil health. So the best way to do about that is to start to learn about it and look at the practices that you're doing that might be causing that function harm or being that slowing it down or you know, there's a number of things that you could be doing wrong, but the best thing to be doing would be to start asking questions and start looking at soil as if it's a living organism that you need to feed as well. Like you look after your cattle, they've got grass that they need to eat. You've got organisms and whatnot in your soil that need to eat as well. Jack Farthing, thanks for your time on the Country Hour this afternoon. No worries. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Jeremy Trembath is a cattle and veggie producer north of Catherine. He gave it a crack. He soiled his undies and he said he was pretty stoked with the results. Uh, well, the results were great. I mean, it's not something, as I said, that I'd, um, I'd been part of before. And it was just a wonderful way to see that we do have good biology in the soil. I think we were left with, oh, in total, one square centimetre of cotton from a large size um, pair of underwear. So, I mean, everything essentially was eaten up by the biology and we were left with just the strap. Yeah, I've taken a look at the photo and it's pretty impressive in just eight weeks what has happened to those cotton undies. What were your thoughts when you tried to dig them up and, and basically there was nothing there to dig up? Yeah, well, okay, well, going into digging them up, I was actually quite nervous because... Um, well, I mean, nervous, um, in a way, because I've been putting a lot of energy, time and effort into this paddock and, um, 
it's just nice to see some good results out of that and just just see a good functioning soil for our efforts really what are you doing in that particular paddock that has led to these results of of you know the good soil health so it's a paddock that's been a bit run down not run down in, in, by us it's just not a particularly vibrant part of a paddock on the farm and anyway i don't know why i took that i thought i'll grow veg there but um that's the project and as far as practices i've been trying not to do too much at any one time for a start so say if i want want to get calcium so you say okay we want to put a ton of um gypsum which is calcium sulfate on i probably won't go that far i might put 300 kgs at a few different times as to not affect the biology and then also another thing I'm doing is adding biology and all my foliar sprays. One thing I'll always include is molasses. So it gives the sugar to feed the, the activity essentially. And then I am using like a beneficial anaerobic microbes and brews that people have made. And I do some own brewing ourselves um, from a compost course we did with NTS. They um, taught us about making your own inoculums and all sorts of things. So it's been it's been a bit of bit of a journey, and there's there's sometimes things I do, and I don't know. It's a bit like religion. You sort of don't know. No one can tell you it's definitely going to work, but you're sort of just doing it anyway. And and it's good to see that having faith sometimes does pay off. I guess. I guess at the end of the day, you are able to test your soil health with official tests. You're also able to do it with a pair of undies in the paddock um, and, and you've come up with some good results. Are you seeing any difference to your production? Are, are you growing anything uh, in that paddock where you're kind of putting that work in? Yeah, I am. And that, that that's where we've been growing vegetables and it's in its infancy, this area and our our vegetable growing is definitely in its infancy. Um, you said you can do official tests. I did actually do um, – I did send tests away the last time I took soil samples in this paddock, and I didn't get a lot from the test. I think I actually – I've only done the test once, send it away. Um, I mean, it's relatively expensive, and for me to look at it, I didn't get much out of it. But when you do the underwear for something that's extremely inexpensive and not very time-consuming, I found – just the result was really good as a snapshot. And I think because biology is such an active um, entity, I think taking a test now and sending it away and paying for it compared with just putting a pair of undies in and then you could do it again and again. Um, I, I really like the, the undies, undies test. That is cattle and veggie producer from just north of Catherine, Jeremy Trembath. Head to the Territory NRM website or search Soil Your Undies. Trust me, you can you can do it. It's safe. Uh, and you can find out more about National Soil Week and how to improve your soil biology. And maybe you can even soil your own undies on your place as well. It's 20 past one on the country hour. Let's have some music from Casey Barnes. This is a little more. Casey Barnes, a little more. Uh, mattress turtle, cattle class, tow drive for sherbet livestock, we're all flat out, give us plenty of room on the road and you're listening to the Country Hour. Employers across Australia are being encouraged to consider taking on someone with Down syndrome. 
If you get someone like Shannon Wyatt, you won't regret it. Shannon struggled to find work until the owners of Finn Seafood near Fremantle in Western Australia made him chief box constructor. And now, for a lot of reasons, Shannon is a valuable member of their team. Yeah, we make all the boxes. Uh, Finn's box. Uh, my name on it, that one. Did you put all these together? Yeah. How did you do it? Tight. All the time, see. Can you show me how you make one and tell me how you do it? Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Tight. Incredibly organised. There's no one that would stack boxes as neatly as Shannon that works for us at the moment. How did this all come about? There's a company called APM that that helps um, people with disabilities get work in in the workplace and they hounded me over and over and over again. So we sort of said no out of habit, like no, no, no. They just kept on hounding, kept on hounding. Then one day I sort of said, right, send someone down. They've got to be one of your best workers. They've got to be able to work by themselves with no help. You know, we've got boxes that can be made. We've got a you know, suite. We can do these sorts of things. But there was a government subsidy at the time, and we were a pretty new business. And I think it ran for three months. And we sort of said, right, send us someone. They're great, good. But after the three months, swap it over. I think about two to three weeks of having Shannon in the business. Um, I looked at my business partner, John, and just said, John, Shannon's staying, right? And he was like, absolutely. That is immaculate. Yeah. That's a box ready to have some fantastic seafood in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all the in there. How many of these do you do each day? Lots. Lots? Yeah. Fair enough. 200 a day. 200 a day? Yeah. Wow. And who's the best box maker here at Finns? Me. You're certain? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that's the case. Yeah. You've got a reputation, you know. Yeah. Around Australia? Yeah. How did you get so good at making boxes? All the time. Yeah, practice. Every day. Yeah. The most important part for Finns was we needed someone that was going to be self-sufficient and someone that we didn't have to babysit. We're fast-paced, we're seafood, we're, everything's happening all at, all at one time. We don't have the ability to keep eyes on everyone. So we needed someone that's going to be able to do a job, do it well, and not have someone micromanage them. What do you like about the job? More people, more people here. Love them a lot. You like spending time with them? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm always safe with them. And then cake around and coke, coke with buses and all that. So you like chatting with them as well? Yeah. Do you catch the seafood yourself? No. You don't? No. <laughs> Somebody else do it. <laughs> <laughs> Shannon brings us morning tea every Thursday, comes around and sees everyone, says hi to everyone, gives everyone their, their uh, morning tea, even with their name written on it. And it's little things like that that really sort of make you smile and remember that life's too short. And uh, I think one of the other things when we were really starting was it was quite stressful and yeah, there was times where you weren't having the best day. And then Shannon would come in, give you a high five, give you a hug, and it would just make you realise that you know there's nothing that's too bad in this world as long as there's love I guess and Shannon's a lovely guy and I love him to bits. (laughs) 
How many times a day does he hug you like that? Uh, a couple of times. We, <laughs> we, we always hug. We hug it out when we see each other, mm-hmm. when we go, and then sometimes during the day when Shannon's having lunch, we get a little, have another little, little hug, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Shannon loves to smooch. Comes in for a hug and a kiss on the cheek when he first comes in the morning. Shannon, your dad Larry's just arrived to pick you up because you've finished for today. Do you mind if I have a quick chat to him before he whisks you away? Is that okay? From Shannon's perspective, Larry, what have you noticed? What's it been like? He just loves coming here and like when he's not working here, he lies in. When he's going to work, he's up like he's up with the birds. Yeah, breakfast ready, eats his breakfast, gets himself ready. Yeah, great. How important is the work to him, do you think? Very important because uh, even though when Shannon left school at 18, he, he did work for five years and with other places, but then he went through a downturn with no work for a couple of years. It was pretty, pretty downturning and you know, pretty sad. And yeah, so this has just turned his life around and he just loves it. Was he keen to work and couldn't find work? Oh yeah, he's always wanted to work, but these guys were the only guys that will give him a go. Yeah. Uh, people just, yeah, I've been to all of these labor hire places around, oh, we can do this. But uh, when I went to APM, yeah, they were the ones that did it. At the moment, we are doing so many stories with farmers or organisations and they're screaming out for workers. They're saying we can't find the labour, we can't find the people to do the sort of jobs that we have. What would you say to those people? Just give, well, people, anyone who's got a disability is capable of working, give them a go. You'll find that they just, they don't all just sit in the house doing nothing. A lot of them want to get all that out of work. Just give them a go. Yeah, I'd really encourage anyone that, that thinks they might even have an opportunity in their business, even if there isn't one, to give APM a shout, give someone a go and, and see if they can change someone's lives like we've changed Shannon and, and have their lives changed just like Shannon's changed our lives. So it's, um, it's actually something pretty special. Chief Box Constructor Shannon Wyatt with his dad Larry along with Phil Clark and Asher Flynn from Finn Seafood. They were chatting with Richard Hudson. That is it for the Country Hour today. Let's do it all again tomorrow. It's 1.30.